And welcome to Max and Murphy. The next candidate we'll be speaking to, another member of the Assembly, and that's Danny O'Donnell from Manhattan. Assemblyman, you are on Max and Murphy. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. I was enjoying hearing my colleague, Brother Blake, uh, share his vision. I will take one exception. He may be the more handsome one, but I'm clearly funnier. So (laughs) So far, so good. There you go. Uh, So, Assemblyman, tell, for listeners who are not familiar with you and your career, just talk a little bit about what you bring to this race. What's um, What's the elevator pitch? Well, I'm running on my record, not on rhetoric. I've been elected official for 16 years. Uh, immigrant story. My grandparents were immigrants uh, from Ireland where they couldn't work because of their religion. Um, my family came here. Um, sadly, my mother died when I was 12 of cancer, and my father tried to drink his sadness away, and my siblings and I were left alone. And I had to cook for myself. I had to clean for myself. for Thanksgiving dinner at 13. And New York City saved my life. 1983, they opened a law school, CUNY, that I could afford to go to, and because of that, um, I was able to have a career that I never thought I could have because there were no resources to send me to law school. And New York City saved my life in another way. Forty years ago, I met and fell in love with someone, and that someone was a man. And in that time, 1980, it wasn't safe to live as an openly gay couple in much of America. And New York provided us a place to live. Um, after I graduated from law school, I became a legal aid lawyer defending poor people in Brooklyn, not becoming a corporate lawyer, not going out to make money. Um, I then opened my own law practice, served on Community Board 9 in West Harlem. I said I wanted to be an elected official. I was told, you can't be an elected official. We'll never elect a gay person. I won. I became the first gay man in the New York State Assembly, joining Deborah Glick, who has endorsed me. And then I went to work. I wrote and passed the Marriage Equality Law, wrote and passed the Dignity for All Students Act, the first time we recognized trans people in the state of New York. Uh, wrote and passed a law that lowered New York City's speed limit. I have a history of record and accomplishments that no one else has in this race. For four years, I was chair of the Corrections Committee. I visited 38 state prisons. Um, I am the Assembly's leading expert on criminal justice reform. So uh, that's who I am. That's how I got here. Um, And I think I have the best record to run on to get myself elected. And we started off the top of the show just for a couple of minutes talking about how busy um, the week and really the year so far has been in New York City and state politics um, and talking about how the state legislature passed um, quite a few bills in what is uh, indicative of the new sort of democratic norm now. Um, but I, but I, I know some of that was especially important to your work. Do you want to take a minute to, to just talk about uh, what, what's happened at the state level uh, and the work you've been involved with this week? Sure. A couple of the bills. One was to ban conversion therapy. When you're my age, um, you cannot not know people in the LGBTQ community who have been subjected to conversion therapy and the dangerous impacts it has. And um, even Governor Christie, when he's in New Jersey, signed that into law. Uh, we had not yet done it through the leadership of Deborah Click. We did that yesterday. Um, I gave an impassioned speech about the struggles of our community and how far we've come, but we've not gotten to where we need to be. We also, for the first time, um, after I passed it in, in the Dignity Bill, we now passed a non-discrimination, non-harassment bill for our trans brothers and sisters. It was long overdue. It was left out of the bill before I arrived there, so I have nothing, no responsibility for that. But 2002 is when it became law, um, and we finally fixed that yesterday, and I'm very proud of those two accomplishments and the knowledge that the presence of LGBT people at the table in the room is very important. 
So you've been in Albany since 2003, and so you have suffered through all those years of Democrats controlling the Assembly, but for the most part, uh, almost exclusively not having control of the Senate. I'm sure there are a lot of things you want to see get done. Some of them are starting to get done now. Why leave Albany now when it seems you have a chance to accomplish so much there, given the the changing political tides? Uh, Because I've accomplished much of that already. Um, Please understand, I passed the marriage equality bill and wrote it five times before the Senate took it up. And it took a bipartisan coalition to get it through. When I first got the bill, there were only 24 members in my House who were in favor. And when we took a vote two months later, 85 people voted yes. So I have a history of working across the aisle to get things done. Um, The truth is that I think that in this time of increased uh, leadership um, being very dictatorial at all levels of government, um, that there needs to be a countervailing voice against the mayor and the governor, someone who has the ability to stand up and say no. That has been my entire life. I've been an advocate my entire life, and I believe that the person who becomes the next public advocate has got to be strong and not using that position to run for higher office and not using it as a stepping stone, but also is free from ties from the mayor and the governor. That would be me. So talk a little bit more on that front. Let's let's just say that you were the public advocate right now or even had been last year. What would what would that have looked like? What what are the things that you think Mayor de Blasio or even Governor Cuomo, but obviously the, the public advocate, you know, has a more of a city focus. Uh, what are those things that you would be speaking out about and, and how would you do it? I mean, the public advocate doesn't have a lot of clear powers, has some. Uh, what would you be speaking out about and, ha- and how would you go about getting change? So let me give you an example. When you're an elected official, you're often put pressure on to sign on to things or to agree to things. So a number of years ago, the mayor sent us all a letter inviting Amazon to come to New York City. I read the one page letter, which had no details, no information about money, what it would cost, where it would go, nothing. And I said, you know what? No. I'm not signing this letter because it's like sending somebody a blank check. So the mayor's office called and called and called. Why aren't you signing? Why aren't you signing? I'm not signing that letter. Do you know who signed that letter? Tish James, Melissa Mark Viverito, Michael Blake, Jamani Williams, Jimmy Van Bramer. So in the end, let's just take that as an example. Do you, did you have the strength to stand up and say, I'm not signing a blank check when you were asked to do that. And then being angry now that they show up after you invited them there, it's like sending a wedding invitation and being pissed off when they get to your wedding. (laughs) So in the end, that's an example. What should have been done? The, the, The mayor and the city should have engaged with residents of Long Island City and talked to them about what they want. They should figure out what what would make their city better. They should have a sustainable um, building coalition to say, how can we build on the edge of the waterfront with climate change coming in a way that's not going to be negative impacted on the rest of the community and demanded that infrastructure like subways and infrastructure like schools get built as part of it, not announcing the deal in secrecy. Um, you know, one morning surprise with the, the two men in the room fighting to take to get the credit. That's just wrong. 
So this is a question about the least likely thing to happen if you were to become public advocate, but it's a pretty important part of the job, at least uh, by statute, by charter, which is the role to step into the mayoralty if it's ever vacant. So I'm curious, your public advocate, the mayor calls you and says, Danny, I'm resigning because I'm sick or I'm in trouble or I'm becoming an astronaut or whatever. What's the first thing you do? How do you demonstrate to New Yorkers that you're capable of being mayor? I call my husband and tell him to hold on to his hat. <laughs> and, and, and then? <laughs> and then I keep my pledge to not run for the mayoralty. Many of my colleagues are not running to be public advocate. They're running because they want to become mayor. That is not what I'm trying to do. Then you have to hold the city together through that period of crisis, call a special election. <clears throat> As terms of the, what the power the mayor has, the first thing I would do is fight over development and change the zoning laws and say we have to do a better job of figuring out what people are allowed to build. So this is a little geeky in the weeds, but I'm just going to tell you. I served on community board nine for seven years. I was the chair of the housing land use committee. I know I'm keen to know some of these rules. And here's one of the rules. You get a zoning bonus if your what your building qualifies as a community um, facility, which is fine. If you're building a new public school, that's a community facility. But here in my neighborhood, we have all these buildings being built that get a zoning bonus because they're a community facility that are locked to the community. So I, for example, believe that community facility exceptions should zoning bonuses should not go into effect without going through the Euler process and allowing the city council to vote on whether or not <clears throat> building a private, building a school at Columbia University gets a zoning bonus because it's a community facility when no one in the community can use it. We have got to stop. We cannot fill in every piece of land with concrete and a high rise. It's not sustainable for us. It's not sustainable for the world. And so we have to change the way we make those decisions. Look, I look live in a very liberal community. I'm very proud of that. But if they're allowed to build 10 stories, let's just say hypothetically, if you came to my people and said, we want to build 15 because five of it's going to be affordable housing, they would say yes. But we, what we've done is we've changed the rules that says you can build 18. And if you get a zoning bonus, you can build 22. And so where is the incentive to force the affordable into the equation when they're already out, allowed to build too much in the first place? Does so, that answer your question? I, th I think so. Yeah, yeah you, you jump right into uh, not only settling the city down and pledging not to not to actually seek a term as mayor, but also jump right into the housing and zoning weeds. We like to talk about those here on the program. Uh, just for listeners, we're uh, here on Max and Murphy on WBAI, 99.5 FM, WBAI.org. We are talking with multiple candidates this week who are running in the special election for public advocate. And we are currently joined by Assemblymember Danny O'Donnell, who represents parts of Manhattan and is running for public advocate in that special election. So, Assemblymember, you, you do represent parts of Manhattan and you're, uh, you know, some of the neighborhoods you represent often come out to vote quite a bit. Um, yes, and and, uh, and more than one uh, smart person has you know pointed out to me that uh, that that gives you something of an advantage in this race where turnout will probably be low across the city. You have 20 plus candidates running. Um, 
talk a little bit about that and anything else that you see as a as a path to victory here. I mean, how do you how do you get this done in such a crowded race? You must have thought a little bit about that and talked to some consultants about that. What does that look like? Well, let's start in the beginning. Uh, I will disagree with Mr. Blake uh, with his assessment. Um, uh, in the end, if you have, as long as you have matching money, you can compete in this race. I qualified for matching money yesterday. So whether or not he has ten more thousand dollars in matching money than me is not going to be the issue. We all get matching money, or most of us get matching money. Um, so that's the first thing. The second thing is I represent a place where people vote. In the last election cycle, I got forty-five thousand votes for assembly. There are assembly districts where you, they only got fifteen thousand votes. You couldn't keep my people away from voting in a blizzard. Okay, these are folks who love to vote and love to enjoy the process. They're not the easiest people to represent sometimes, but because they're so vocal, but they go out and get a vote. Secondly, um, I'm the only member of the state legislature ever to have his picture on the cover of the New York Times, not in handcuffs. And that's because I pass marriage equality. And that takes diligence and hard work and coalition building. And so I have name recognition beyond my assembly district. Three, I have the most endorsements of anyone in this race from all five boroughs. Congressman John Charlie Rangel has endorsed me because of the work I've done in his community. Assemblymember Keith Wright. Assemblymember Deborah Glick from The Village. Assemblymember Kathy Nolan from Queens. Assemblyman Michael Miller from Queens. Assemblymember Michael Benedetto um, from the Bronx. Assemblymember Maritza DeVia from Brooklyn. And Assemblymember Mike Cusick from Staten Island. Five-borough strategy of getting a message out. I get things done. When I was corrections chair, I went to 38 prisons in four years. Guess what? You can't take the IRT to Attica, okay? And you give me a job, I do it. And so that's what my record is. The question of getting that record out will require the things that it takes. But once you get to the matching money threshold and we're there, we're going to be fine. Assemblyman, just as a last question before we let you go, as you know, there are people in the city who have long said that we don't need a public advocate, and some of them have said that very recently. If you run into a voter on the street between now and Election Day who says, I may or may not have voted for you, but I don't think we need this office, what's the one instance, the one example from recent city history, or maybe all city history, of a case where the public advocate's office has proved its mettle, it's proved the fact that we need it to function as a city. What's the best example of that? Well, the way I have answered that, if you don't think that people ask me that when I was collecting signatures, they did, is that we are living in a time of creeping executive power where executives are taking more and more things and deciding by fiat what is the right thing to do. And we are fortunate in the city of New York to have a check on executive power in this office. And as long as we elect someone who is truly independent of the power structure, you know, I've never been a district leader or a member of the DNC because my voters think you should separate party jobs from from public service jobs. I've kept them separate. I've done this job full-time for 16 years with no outside income. Have you asked my colleagues that? You should, because you're going to get some very interesting answers. So we need to have someone who's independent. And the best example I have is the Amazon letter. Tish James signed that letter rather than pausing and thinking, is this the best thing for the city? You need someone with a history of pausing and stopping and saying, maybe that's not the right way to go. 
Okay, well, we're going to leave it there with Assemblymember Danny O'Donnell, who is in the crowded field. For, and the funniest, and is, repeat that to the others, is among the most humorous of the 20-plus <laughs> candidates running for public advocate in the special election coming up on February 26th. Thanks very much for joining us here on WBAI. Thank you very much for having me. It's been my pleasure.